Welcome to Hell on Hills podcast. I'm Bryce. I'm Amanda. And welcome to episode 55. Mm-hmm. Where both Amanda and I are sick. The real shit show here. Yeah. Is that an ulcerative colitis joke? It wasn't this time, but maybe <laughs> next time. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say everybody got the cooties around here. Yeah, we got, we're cootie queens. But we're not doo-doo headed. Well, Bryce That's... isn't. No, not this time. Mm-hmm. I've just, I have a card that basically says I am. Be concerned about what you mean by that. Oh, <laughs> the little, um, like, you know, I have a, a bowel disease. I have a gastrointestinal oh. disorder. If you don't have. Um, I got you. I got you. Public restrooms. Yeah. Lead me to your restroom, please. God. <laughs> I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah, some people still don't take them. And I'm like, you have no understand understanding of the emergency that I'm in right now. Okay. You don't get how urgent the situation is yeah. right now. I will shit on your floor. Honestly, though. Okay. Do you carry a, a bag of um, emergency poop supplies in your car, sir? No? Okay. Then please recognize this card. Please. Because I like I... these pants. Yes. I want to keep these pants. <laughs> um. Well, do you have any updates aside from being sick? <clears throat> um, not really. I started work. That's pretty fun. I don't know. It's work. Okay. My camera went weird. Yeah, it's work. Like, I'm back at it. It It is pretty fun, though. I really enjoy talking to adults. Have I told you that? You have. Do I not count as an adult? No. Oh. Okay. <laughs> because I talk to you and James like pretty much on the daily, but sometimes I need somebody that's not going to verbally abuse me because I'm just so much, I'm so used to that love. That's day. a, that is a, okay. I was going to say that's a lie, but I'll let it slide. It's, it that. is not, it's not every day. It's just most days. No. But other than that caveat of the <laughs> not every day. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, other than that, um, I'm just sick. Um, Annie is sick. She did it. She brought it home. She brought home, I know I told you, RSV from the daycare. So that was a a panicky trip to the hospital when her fever spiked. And that's what I heard. Yeah. I didn't know what to do. Oh, did I also tell you that I am (laughs) stopping my anxiety pills this week? So this has been really fun. Oh, no, you did not tell me. Yeah, I'm I'm actively weaning. Um you're weaning so yeah. like a weenie? I'm sorry. I mean no, yes. Yeah. Oh, by the way, verbal abuse, that's today. So in case you were that's, wondering. Yeah, that's my day today. I have it written down <laughs> in my planner. Verbally abuse Amanda. Yeah. So you'll hear more, yeah. I'm sure. Well, you know, what can I say? It's fun. You enjoy it. But other than um, her getting sick, I just wanted to throw this out there, like, get it off my chest. If I could, I meant to mention it to you earlier. Um, Can we just be nice to people, like, everybody? Like, sometimes people, hi, me, sometimes people out there have, like, health issues that aren't visible to the human eye. So if someone is like, yeah, I think I might have caught RSV from my daughter, I might not just tell people, like, Will adults just get a stuffy nose? That's that's not always the case. Did someone at your work say that? 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I've been sitting on that for a while and I'm just like, mm, I'm like really immunocompromised. So no, imagine like if your grandpa got RSV, that's me over here. I'm grandpa Amanda. Grandpa Amanda's sick today. Yes. She's got RSV. Just be nice to people, please. No. That's so hard. I'm, yes. I'm not talking to you. I know that's <laughs> difficult. <laughs> I mean, you've, you've talked to my dad. Uh, he he might seem nice, but I do get my attitude from him. I can definitely see the um, what's it called? <laughs> the prison man. I can't think of words. Prison guard officer. That that was what I was looking for. Yeah, <laughs> prison man. That's what I said. I can definitely see the corrections officer in both of you. Yes, it's because <laughs> I grew up with it. So we had mm-hmm. my dad who had two modes. He had work mode and home mode. If he could not shut off work mode, it was not the most pleasant night. But Ooh. I can you blame him? He worked with doo-doo heads. I mean, yeah, he worked with that doo-doo head we just talked about the other day. <laughs> right. So, yeah. I mean, can't blame him. No, not at all. His home mode was great, though. So once his work mode got shut off, he was it's my dad. Well, that's because he has all you kids. You act like he had so many kids when I was He has more up. than me. He, he only had three and I was the only one that was wanted. The other two were oopses. I feel like that's what he specifically told you. That is actually what my mother told me. Oh. So my older brother and sister, they were both oopses. Mm-hmm. My mom, I guess she was like, let's have a third kid. And that was their mentality for like a week or two. And then my mom saw probably my brother body slam my sister. And she went, never mind, two's enough. And I went, <laughs> you thought. Cute. Mm-hmm. so it was only temporary that i was wanted but i was still wanted longer than my brother and <laughs> sister combined so no that's how it goes because before annie i i told james i was like i think i want three kids because i grew up in a family with three kids and even though me and my brothers hated each other like i can't imagine not being in that family and then we had annie and i'm like i don't want any more kids i want zero more children See, I'm like, two is my max. I think Cody wants four. And I'm like, you're insane. Two at most. Actually, not even that. I said one. (laughs) When him and I met, I said one is my max. And Mm -hmm. he said, well, I want four. And my compromise was two. And here we are, not able to have kids. (laughs) Not yet. Well, I I haven't told you this, but I actually have um, an appointment scheduled with our fertility doctor in December to pick up the process again. So. Oh, I'm excited. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Anyways, we're not we're not gonna talk about that. It'll make me cry. Yeah. Okay. Also, we've been talking for a while, I think. Also, it's my turn for an update. So Oh, I'm listening. I don't really have much, but I did. Let me think. When was the last time we talked? Not this weekend, but the weekend before last we recorded. Weekend? Okay. Yes. 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 Last okay. weekend. Um, I did go to a Halloween party on Saturday. We were not Sims because we procrastinated for so long that we didn't have enough time to make the plum bobs. So. (laughs) Sounds right. Yes. So we ended up going to the costume store and spending way more than we wanted to. But Cody convinced me to. This is how he convinced me. He said I could do his makeup. Um, Okay. Vampires. Did you wear the earrings or did you not? I did not. So for those of you asking, I sent Amanda a question if the earrings I was wearing was too much or not. And I had to make the executive choice that the earrings were too much. Because I watched that video today. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> you were busy. <laughs> yeah, I was busy, you know, trying to stay alive. Yeah. No, so it's fine. Um, point being is that I did not because I had a little piece that went across my forehead and it just felt like too much. So, but I wore the earrings today at work. For work. Does that count? They were cute. We were M&Ms <clears throat> at work. Oh. Did you make that? Or did you buy the M&M shirt? Absolutely not. My boss oh. made it for me. Oh, okay. I tried to get Cody to be Crayola crayons. And he said no. I thought it would be funny if we were bank robbers. That but apparently another girl suggested that and they were like, that's probably not allowed. And I was like, they don't know. Nobody's going to know. Nobody's going to. Who's going to know? Who's going to know? Yeah. Anyways, so <laughs> we went to that <clears throat> party. Uh, it was his cousin's party, which was a lot of fun. Um, I got drunk with his sister and cousins. Fun. I demanded our brother-in-law bring me water every 10 seconds. That's important <laughs> when you're drinking. Yes. So <clears throat> thank you to him for doing that because I was not. Mm-hmm. I, was, I wasn't even asking Cody. I was like, Ryan? <laughs> Agua. And Cody was like, you heard the woman. <laughs> and she Cody said your like, name. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it was a good old time. We, uh, we drank. We pretended to dance, I think. I don't really think what we did, at least what I did, was not dancing, but. Um, Say less. We started a game of cornhole. We did not finish. Okay. <clears throat> it's because they were doing shots. Oh, no, that's not true. It's because it was costume contest time. And Cody's uh, husband was like, I had better win. I was like, okay. And then we just they? started drinking. Yeah, she won. Oh, good. She campaigned. She campaigned hard. I mean, was she the one throwing the party? No. Oh. She still deserved to win. Yeah, she's fine. <clears throat> but that that's my update. So I'm blaming this uh, illness on that because I was fine on Saturday. I'm blaming it on my daughter because that's why we had children. Oh. Okay. More children. I'm waiting for my gnome to decide if he likes me or not and to heal me. But I guess this also isn't a broken bone. So. I mean arguably worse in some situations but his specialty is fixing broken bones but do you have a broken brain that's irreparable just ask my mom oh okay hey it's her fault she wanted you she wanted me it may not have been for a long time but i was wanted anyways all right well Let's start getting the show on the road. But before we do, we just want to shout out. Um, shit, I put a duplicate place on here. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Have we done that? Okay, so before we get started, we just want to shout out some of our listeners. And Ohio, we see you. We know see you're you. there. Yeah. Y'all have just... like the spaghetti chili, right? I've never heard of that. Think? Isn't that... Yeah, the Cincinnati, I don't know, something never. about chili on spaghetti, and I've it served never warm. never heard of that. Ohio, I'm kind of concerned about you now. I would try it. I don't know. I'm, uh, actually, no, that looks really good. Uh-huh. I would try it. Okay, I'll try it. I'll try it. <clears throat> What's it called? Skyline chili? I put in spaghetti chili. <laughs> oh, I think it's, I'm pretty sure it's called Skyline. 
I, I have no idea, but this came up. Chili spaghetti recipe, one shot, one pot chili pasta, Cincinnati chili. Yes. Cincinnati chili. That sounds correct. Okay. Well, it looks delicious. I'll stop giving you shit. Oh, Wish someone would. I'll just start targeting Amanda again. Okay. Um, also our discord, our discord is up and going and I'm sorry, guys, I'm clearing my throat every what, 10 seconds. And I'm sure Amanda's going to get used to it here soon. Oh, I can't hear you over the sound of me trying to breathe. Oh, okay. So anyways, yeah, she's already, she zoned me out. It's fine. But <laughs> we, um, we just want to shout out that our discord is up and going. So if you guys want to talk through crime, paranormal, whatever, you can find the link for our discord on all of our social media platforms. Um, or if you struggle to find it, go ahead and message us on any of our social media platforms and we'll get that up. So Instagram is Hell on Heels Podcast, Twitter, Hell on Heels Pod. Everything else should be Hell on Heels Podcast. Um, and then there's something I'm missing. Oh, Patreon. So Amanda and I are working really hard to get some Patreon specials up. I think Amanda just barely got our Phasmophobia one up, which. That was the Internet's fault. It took a while. But that is a really good episode. Come watch us uh, ghost hunt. I screamed left and right. So it was maybe don't have your headphones on for that one. But for sure, listen. Yes. So anyways, listen in the car, in the parking lot, like outside of a grocery store. Yeah, we need to record another one of those. We should have done that tonight and say fuck this for (laughs) episode recording. All right. Well, rumor has it. That you have a story. Who told you? Maisie. That answer. I I could have told you that, but. Well, thanks for nothing, Maze. But yes, I I very much do. Um, so this is a story of Kimberly Rico. I do not know if the H is silent. So I'm just gonna Let's add that little say it's Rico. Rico, do I need to roll? I'm not going to do that. I'm not. I'm sorry. I don't know if I'm really rolling my R. I don't ever feel like that's correct. Rico. Like that? Is that right? That's not. I think so. So it was February 16th of 1998. I'm sorry. No, it wasn't. It was February 15th of 1998, early in the morning, when police and fire marshals arrived at the Harbortown Golf Resort and Conference Center in St. Michael's, Maryland. It was about one, one o'clock, uh, somewhere between one o'clock and one thirty in the morning when a woman walked into the lobby and asked employees to call 911 because her room was on fire and the door was locked and she couldn't get inside. So she's outside of the room and her room's on fire. So who's in the room? She told they did ask if anybody was inside and she said that she thought her husband was inside. You think your husband's inside? Wouldn't you know? Like, if you're in a hotel room, wouldn't you know where your husband is? No. And we'll get into that. Okay. Uh, When the police arrived a short time later, the room was no longer on fire. But it definitely had been. And I uploaded pictures. The one picture is not their room, but it's a room that was just like it at the resort. And then there is a photo of the fire damage in the room. Investigators found that you can see from that picture, the fire was pretty much contained to the bed, the headboard, and the wall behind the bed. And there's two beds in the room, and it all happened on one bed. On the floor, between the two beds, 
they found the body of Stephen Harico. What was interesting about him being on the floor was on the bed, there was a pillow where the falling soot had left a silhouette of a man's head. Which to me is just very, is so eerie. So why would, okay. So like, it looks like he tried to move type thing. So like the soot was falling on him. He maybe woke up and then, but that doesn't make sense. Because then there would have been soot that covered that spot. Right. I couldn't find, I could not find much on this. I did find another source, um, kind of iffy about it, but it kind of explains it. One source, it was from a newspaper article, and it said that there was a witness who actually ran into the burning room and tried to pull Stephen out of the room. So I'm guessing he could have, if that's true, he could have possibly gone in and at, le- at the very least tried to get him out of the bed because that was the only part of the room that was burnt. The other pillow had an opened Playboy magazine sitting on top and under was a package of cigars with one cigar missing. On the nightstand were two bottles of beer, and both of those bottles were almost full. An eyewitness later told the media that only Steve's shoulders, chest, and head had been burned. And he had been burned so badly you couldn't even see the features on his head or face. Stephen Harico, um, the victim, he met his wife Kim after they had been introduced by friends. And they got married in March of 1989, and the couple had an eight-year-old daughter together. They had gone to this resort to stay as like a little Valentine's Day getaway. The resort was throwing some little shindig, and Stephen thought it would be romantic, so he invited Kim, and they went. I guess they just went to get away. Okay. Now, based on all the evidence that they saw, the medical examiner originally ruled the death a smoking accident. Yeah, sounds um, like it. <laughs> right? It seems pretty, I mean, I guess pretty cut and dry. Because I did also read, some people were saying, why wasn't the whole room burned? And they had, I read articles from experts that said hotel rooms, they're so close together. And it's literally, you know, just room after room. They are specifically made to be as fire safe as possible. So, the bed, the curtains, every all of the fabric and stuff they put in there is supposed to be fire resistant. So that could be why maybe he caught on fire and it went out pretty quickly. And that was also why it was only in that one little area. Police did talk to his wife, Kim Hrico, and she told police that she had been staying at the resort with her husband for the Valentine's Day weekend. And she was the woman that was seen walking into the lobby and telling them, uh, hey, there's a fire in her. They she told the police that they had been having marriage problems and they were attending counseling sessions when Steve suggested this trip to her and she agreed to go along. She kind of made it out to seem like this was a last ditch effort at saving their marriage. Way to kind of put the spotlight on you. That's kind of fishy. Yeah. Throughout the story, people say like her big mouth didn't do her any justice. And that is me putting what they said very nicely. Kim told police that earlier that evening, they had attended a murder mystery play that the hotel had put on. And after the play, she, I'm sorry, during the play, she told police that Steve had been drinking heavily 
during dinner, during the play, and afterwards. She said that they got more beer and went back to the hotel room. He started getting handsy, and she got upset because one of the stipulations of her going on this trip was, we're not going to have sex. We are going to work on our marriage. That's what we're here for. And she made a point to tell them, I told him that we need to get closer as a couple before we start doing that again. So they got into an argument, Kim got very upset, and she left. She ended up going to, she ended up trying to go to a friend's house. And this friend lived about 15 minutes away. So wait, is this like a staycation type thing? Like they no. live in, no, okay. Yeah, no. She just had friends that lived close to this resort. And since she was upset and it was late at night, I believe they said it was about 10 o'clock around this time when the argument happened. She just needed to talk to somebody, you know, let off some steam. So she goes to try to find this friend's house. She claimed that she drove around about two hours because she could not find the friends. What year was this? This was in 1998. Okay. Yeah, so it's it's not like she could just map quest it or I think even, yeah, she She, couldn't even text them. I was going to say she can't even do Google Maps. Yeah, no. She did say that she asked multiple people for directions to get back to the hotel. And when she got there, she got to their door and she realized that she didn't have her room key. In her rage, she stormed out. So she went around to their patio because she said that during their stay, they had been leaving the patio door unlocked and just using that to come and go. Well, when she got around to the glass door of the patio, she said that the whole room was on fire. Um, it was full of fire, full of smoke, and she immediately went to get help. Interestingly, the medical examiner, he conducted an autopsy and found no alcohol in Steve's system and his CO2 levels were completely normal and there was no soot in Steve's mouth, lungs, or throat. Okay, so he definitely was not breathing and he definitely didn't breathe that in. Right. So, he was he ruled that he was dead before the fire. So and it not, wasn't alcohol related. Nope. There was no alcohol in his system. Man, that's some quick uh quick uh what did what would you call it? Like quick disappearing alcohol? Like a trick alcohol type thing? Like a mega liver cup uh <laughs> Yeah, uh, he's got like the mega liver of all yeah. the livers. Hyperproductive. This is like every every college kid's dream. Right, just to have this ultra mega liver. Yeah. Well, I mean Heck, that's that's my dream and I don't even drink much right now. Same. So, when the medical examiner calls the police and was like, "Hey, so this is weird." This on top of the already not strong witness report from Kim, it kind of got the gears in the in police's brains kind of ticking a little bit. They got a little bit of inspiration. Yeah, they got a, you know, like sometimes you just... They got some Kim-spiration. Oh my God, yes. They got some Kim-spiration. That's it. <laughs> That's, we're done. That's the episode. They... Start investigating by, well, one of the first things they do to start, they trace the cigars back to the store that they were bought in, and they did this by the sales tag, which was still on them. So they go to the store, and the cl- the police talk to the clerk and asked her if she remembered who bought them, and this clerk is immediately, like, 
Yup. I remember exactly who it was because I, it was a woman. I complimented her on her hair and I asked her who did it. And the woman got angry and was like, this is my natural hair color and got really upset and offended. Listen, we all do it. We all dye our hair. It's okay. There's nothing wrong with it unless you decide that there's something wrong with it. And even at that, it's only you. No one else gives a shit. Hold up. Your hair is not naturally pink. It, my hair does not naturally change from pink to purple to blue to whatever other color it chooses. No. <gasps> oh. I well. mean, just kidding. Yes, it is. It's like a mood ring, but with my hair. Oh, if only. I would buy it <laughs> a thousand times. So obviously, she very easily identifies Kimberly Huicrito as the woman who bought the cigars. Yeah, I really hope I'm saying Huico. Huico. <laughs> I'm doing my best. I know. <laughs> but I'm here to torment you and you love every moment of my abuse. Debatable. You love every moment of my abuse. Okay, yeah, it's all right. Okay. <laughs> so police are still left with a little bit of a dilemma because they're they're thinking this out and they're like, okay, well, she's still, they had an argument. She still could have bought this stuff for Steve. That she could have bought this stuff for Stephen before they even had this argument. You know, this is a romantic weekend. They could have just wanted to relax, smoke a cigar, have a beer. Celebration. Reconnect. Yes. Reconnect on Valentine's Day. Hey. But not do anything naughty. They're just emotionally reconnecting. Like, okay, just but be I there for each other. feel like, like, I get that she put the stipulation that there'd be no naughty time. But I still feel like there would be, I don't want to say expectation, more like that hope that there would be. Like he, he would be like, I'm still hoping for it. I'm hoping that she wants some of it. Yes, ex- exactly. Like, like, you gotta, you gotta try, right? Like, it's Valentine's Day. Right. And, I mean, this is also if Kim's story, so right. we don't even know if that was on the table to begin with. Right. And... If he respected her boundaries, then it's fine. If she said no and he said, okay, cool. That's it. Yeah. Hopefully that's what happened. Uh, hopefully. We're, we're going to hope. Well, I'm going to tell you what we know that happened. The police started interviewing her friends and family. And they very quickly found out that Steve did not smoke. Multiple friends and family members told police that he would do other types of tobacco i'm left to assume it's like a dip just smokeless tobacco but they said that he would not he did not smoke it just wasn't his thing they also discovered that kim severely undersold their marriage issues i told you earlier that this trip was kind of a hail mary at saving their marriage kim wanted a divorce and this was said by multiple friends between the years of 97 and 98 that's when she had started getting just so unhappy and she was constantly telling her friends she wanted out she wasn't happy anymore but why didn't she leave like if she was that unhappy that is that's uh i can't tell you i'm just gonna did they have kids together yes they had an eight-year-old daughter 
I mean, I guess maybe I can see her being like, well, I can't leave or him fighting to say, listen, I want our daughter to have a complete family, not have like mm-hmm. the idea of a broken family, which by the way, for <clears throat> anyone that is in like a relationship where you and your significant other are not happy, that's still a broken family. Yeah. So <clears throat> anyways, but like maybe he was like, no, I, I love you. I don't know. No, you were, you're right. There are journals that he was just absolutely still completely in love with her. It was the last thing he wanted to do. And he was completely devoted to making this work with her. Um, so keep that in mind. Police speak with a man named Ken Burgess. Ken worked with Kim at a hospital. Kim was a surgical tech and Ken he told police a story that they really were interested to hear. He goes on to tell them that one day, sources varied. He said that they were like physically working. Some said he was in the break room, but wherever they were, he had his back to her and they were just kind of talking. And he said that she made some kind of remark along the lines of, if you really want to help me, you could kill my husband. What? Uh, yeah. Th- that's extreme. A little. God, yeah, yeah, no, not this very extreme. And uh, Kim thought that she was joking originally, which I have to say, I would feel the same way. I can't imagine a coworker just coming up and being like, yeah, I got a bad case of the Mondays. You want to kill my husband? I regret saying that now because <laughs> there is a story where a girl used that as an excuse. Uh, but. That's not what I meant. So he said that he kind of laughed it off. And as he's turning around to look at her, he made some kind of comment like, why do you need me to do it? You can just drug him. We work with drugs. And he said, oh my gosh, I know. He said as he turned around and looked her in her face, he could tell immediately that she was not joking. Oh, sir, call for help at that point. He claimed he tried to make light of the situation, which again, like, I would do that. I don't know what to say. What what do you say to somebody when they say that? No, but that's illegal, so don't kill your husband. Yeah. And leave me out of it, preferably. Mm -hmm. Just trying to live my life over here. Maybe instead of killing him, you just leave. That's an idea. Uh, Imagine that. So, another friend police talk to she tells of a night in january when kimberly calls her and begs her to come over so the friend does and she claimed that kim was super upset and while she was there she was trying to calm her down and kim starts telling her that she had devised a plan to drug steve and then set him on fire and make it look like an accident so the friend Mm -hmm. She said that she tried to talk her out of it by saying things like, why not just get a divorce? Uh, Wouldn't that set your house on fire? And Kimberly had an excuse to, or I guess a rebuttal to all of these things. She claimed she said that that's just not going to happen. She said divorce is off the table. Why is it off the table, though? I don't understand that. Murder is on the table, but divorce is off. Yeah, there. Okay, that question there is no answer to. Sorry, I looked. Are they super religious or something? 
Not that I could see. That makes no unless she was trying to do like life insurance. Now you're thinking like a prosecutor. That's the only way I would see someone <clears throat> thinking, oh, murder's on the table, but divorce isn't. It's because I want life insurance, so it comes down to greed. That is what they they end up using in the end, because it's like you said, it's the only thing that they can think of. Does it say how much of a life insurance policy if he even had one? Oh yes, ma'am, it does. So we're still on this night in January for right now, though. The friends and their the friends' names they are in here, uh, but I just I didn't want to add them. They seem to be getting a little crap. So, but to be fair, like if I'm in these situations, I would not know what to do. So it's easy. Like I feel like now it's still very different because now people are much more aware of mental health. Whereas, yeah, it was only mm-hmm. what. 20 years ago 20 something years ago 98 right are you asking me to do math yeah no was it 98 yes it was 98 yeah so it's just a little over 20 years ago i feel like Mm -hmm. the mental health industry was so different oh absolutely so her friends are like oh this is a bad idea but they don't necessarily Mm -hmm. know that she truly has these ideologies yes murderous ideology ideologies and even if they did want to say something, you definitely have more options now to say these things and remain anonymous. And they, I just feel like this case would go differently today. I'll leave it there. But the friend said that at about 1 or one thirty in the morning, Kim excused herself to go to the bathroom. And she was gone for a while. So the friend got worried and went to look for her, went to check on her. And she found Kim in their bedroom just standing there, staring at Steve, watching him sleep. In this situation, that seems so creepy. Yes. She said that she, the friend did not even know Steve was in the house when she came over. So I guess he had been asleep the whole time. I don't know what she would have, like, again, I don't know what I would have done. After being gone a while, the, I already said that. The friend was able to coax Kim back downstairs. And this is where Kim started this conversation again and started telling her friend her plan with more details. So, like, she was upstairs thinking about it and like, hmm, how do we execute properly? It felt that way to me, yes. Police also discovered that Kim had been, no, I already said that too, I'm sorry. That bullet is out of way, it was way out of in your defense, you're sick. <clears throat> I'm trying. <laughs> Aren't we both? We'll get there. So friends also told police that Kim was having an affair with a Marine that was stationed at the Pentagon that was 10 years younger than her. Oh, get it, girl. And she told them all about how she just loved him and... The sex was great. It was the greatest sex she ever had. And at the same time, when it come to her talking about Steven with her friends, she had been telling them that he had been following her around the house like a puppy dog and that she cringed when he would touch her. She was just disgusted by him. Yeah, it doesn't... It does not sound good on her part. They went to... They started investigating that night. A little more and trying, I guess, trying to pick apart her story. I don't know how police investigations work, but they did find that while Kim had told police that Steve had been drinking heavily 
that night. She, I believe she used the word, he was sloppy drunk when they got back to the hotel room. Their bar tab was only $5.50. Okay, he's not sloppy drunk. You're sloppy in general. They also discovered that there was a district attorney who had been a guest that night, and they were seated at the same dinner table, which is, what kind of bad luck, ma'am? Really? Wow. Police obviously talked to this DA, and he told them that he only noticed Steve drinking about one or two beers. Mm-hmm. That's Which not it, sloppy drunk. What I was on Saturday was sloppy drunk. And it, you could very well argue, you know, maybe he was drinking more and he didn't see him. Okay, well, it's still only a $5.50 bar tab. Right. That's a pretty... Like, I know nowadays we're talking that would be for half of a drink. I get that. Yes. But back in 1998, um, while you probably weren't getting shots like Bryce had at the Halloween party, it's still, <laughs> you know, uh, you, you got something, but not a lot. Let's just be generous and say it was a dollar per drink. That's five drinks total. Mm-hmm. And how many of those did she drink? Fair point. So she is eventually arrested for arson and murder. The trial took place in 1999, and prosecutors painted a picture of a woman desperately unhappy in her marriage who used a muscle relaxant that they used in surgeries called, oh God, succinylcholine? Sure. Yep. I've and I have worked in the medical field for a long time. That does not mean that I know how to say anything. Look, anybody that's ever had a prescription ever, prescriptions are only 12 of the most random letters put together in whatever sequence they felt like that day. That's a fact. You can look it up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's also every word, isn't it? I don't know. I'm not a linguist. Well, every word is just a random assortment of characters that we decided on. Yeah, but who, not in the... Who decided on the word chair? Could have been flingback. Or, yeah, I guess. Look, all I know is uh, Shakespeare coined the term bedroom. That's all I got. I think he also coined the term elbow. Really? That's interesting. So. I like that. Where the hell do you come up with elbow? <gasps> the term. Is it because your arm makes an L? I don't know. Let me. Yeah, William Shakespeare. He invented huh. the word elbow. Well, today I learned. I wonder what they called it before it was an elbow. Patella. Nope, that's the name. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But whatever it was, I bet it was humorous. Your arm crease. <laughs> Ew. I don't like where this is going. Right here, where it creases. Yeah, but I don't like that. Like it's like it, when it comes to the body, the words crease and crevice—they're just not good terms. Your arm crevice. What did I just say? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, prosecutors argue that he, she used this drug to paralyze her husband before setting him on fire to collect his four hundred thousand dollar life insurance policy. Damn. A little bit of money. I mean, like, yeah, I get it. Could have been more, but you're looking at 98. Mm-hmm. Like, I know $400,000 would only get me, like, a quarter of a house today. I didn't even do that math. So, dang, I am sick. Dang. Okay, let's do it. Hold on. 
Okay. I'll drink. I bet it's going to be like 1.6 million. 728. What? 728,000. Oh, okay. I thought you meant like the $738. I was like, Bryce, there's no way. Sorry, it increased by 300,000. So, yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Enough to buy three quarters of a house. The majority of a house. Enough to buy the watcher house. Almost. Almost. He would still have a small loan, but. Pish posh. Also, don't buy the watcher house. Yeah, mm -mm, no, would not recommend. 10 out of 10, don't do it. (laughs) So, what's kind of scary, um, Cecino Choline, I don't know if it's still used in surgeries, but the way it worked, they most of the time used it to stop people from breathing because it paralyzes your body, including your lungs. And they would do that when they had to give people like tracheas or stuff like that. So when you use this drug on somebody, they had to be on some sort of assisted breathing. So it like, does it act pretty quickly too? relatively quickly yes it was also i say was because again i don't know about today but at least at the succinylcholine s-u-c-c-i-n-y-l oh wow i spelled that way wrong (laughs) s-u-c-c it looks like it's used in electroshock therapy (laughs) oh and it says however this is an off-label use that is not currently approved by the fda is electroshock therapy approved by the FDA? I don't believe so. Because that whole thing, that just made electroshock therapy so much scarier. It's already scary that you're literally electrocuting me, but now I'm paralyzed and I can't move. Yeah, it looks like it's still used today. <clears throat> well, that's so, terrifying. Okay, so basically it paralyzes the crap out of you. Yes. Okay, that's your medical lesson here today. It was noted that while it's impossible to trace, they did look for injection sites and they could not find any. I do wonder if you would have been able to even tell if his body was burned to the point that it was. True. But they could tell that that drug was in his system, right? No. It's uh, it's pretty much untraceable because it, I guess it dissolves so quickly. Okay, so they this is a theory of theirs. Yes, this is what the prosecution presented. My question is, um, how did they come up with this drug? It was pretty popular at the time. Okay. And she would have had easy access to it because she was she was a surgical technician. Now, experts did testify that it would, based on Steve's build, it would have taken about 10 cc or milliliters. James hates when I do that. 10 milliliters of succinylcholine to kill him, and that would take about three minutes to inject into him. That is kind of hard for me to believe. Three that... minutes to inject that into him? Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm struggling because that's a long time for someone to sit there and just let you inject that into them. Exactly! Unless she did a small dose, which did kind of paralyze him or make him slower, and okay. then followed by the remaining amount. Okay, yeah, I could see that. I still feel like it's hard to believe. It does feel like a long time. If she injected him, let's say it's even a smaller amount, wouldn't he have left the room? Like, why did you just shoot me with this? I'm going to go call the police. Like, 
Yeah. I, Unless, I, <clears throat> she was like, hey, let's do this um, medication. Or uh, I just can't think of a reason. Like, there is no reason I would bring any medication for Cody unless he knew about it. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Was was he on any injectable medications? Anything like that? He was actually on another muscle relaxer called cyclobenzaprine and an antidepressant. Both of those medicines, apparently you're not supposed to take muscle relaxers and antidepressants to set together, mm-hmm. excuse me, and you were most certainly not supposed to drink while on either one of those drugs. But isn't cyclobenzaprine a pill? It's yes. not an infection. No. So unless... He, oh, oh, I'm sorry. I just meant he was on other medicine. I know, but I'm just... I'm trying to think of a way that she would finesse giving him an injection of any sort. I wonder if... Even if he only had one or two beers, I wonder if with the medicine he was already on... Because I used to take... um. 150 milligrams of Zoloft. And I also took another tiny, like five milligram anti, uh, no, it was an anti-anxiety to help with the symptoms of that. And when I was on the medicine that was that high, I like two, three beers, I was gone. Like unhealthy, blackout drunk. Because the first time I did it, I was at a freaking wedding, like my family's wedding. And I was like, what happened? I didn't think it would be that drastic. So my guess is if he was on all this and maybe he didn't drink a lot. If he passed out, she could have potentially had all the time in the world to inject him. But even then, three minutes just feels like I don't know how she would accomplish that. And if he's passed out, I can see it. Mm-hmm. because. I don't like needles. I take after my dad like that. Neither of us like needles, right? Um, okay. And a needle coming at me is the fear. So if I visually see it, I'm going to not like it. But once it pokes you, you're fine, right? Like it doesn't Sure. Actually... If you're good with needles, yes. I don't know. I'm just, I'm struggling to, I, I, get, I see your point that it's very possible that with the cyclobenzaprine, and the mm-hmm. antidepressant that he was on, that two or three beers did knock him out. Yeah. But uh, I'm still struggling. I'm still struggling to understand how she got 10, potentially 10 cc's into him. No, I completely agree with you. This whole story, it just seemed, it's, I, I don't have a say on whether or not I believe this. It's just hard. It's really difficult. Another thing that was mentioned in the trial is that no accelerants were found in the room or on the bed. Multiple people, including some of her friends and Ken, they testified for the prosecution. I'm sorry, I wrote that wrong. They testified for the prostitution. Prostitution? Oh my God. They testified for the prostitution. Oh my God. I want to go to bed. They did not have any prostitution in the court. They had prosecution, prostitution, um, prostitute, prosecutor. I hate it here. (laughs) (laughs) They testified on behalf of the prosecution. I still don't think that's the word. You know what? Prosecution. Is that okay? Yes. Jesus Christ, what is happening? 
You they testified prostitutes. <laughs> they're just uh, prostitutes are constantly on my mind. Freudian slip, I guess. <laughs> they testified in the trial. How about that? And they provided a character witness. This was enough. All of what I just said against her. This was enough for the jury to find Kimberly guilty of first degree murder and first degree arson. In March 1999, Kimberly Kimberly was sentenced to life in prison with an added 30 years for arson, and they were to be served consecutively. Here's what I find most interesting. She was convicted with no physical evidence. I was going to say, they like this one was a hard one for me to be like, we're following a theory right now. Yes. And, and it's like, the whole thing just feels... This woman has to be smarter than this, right? You would think she's a surgical tech. Yes. Anybody, like, we've had some dumb criminals. But this kind of takes the cake. I, I can't, and she has never wavered. She has always said that she was innocent. She's serving life in prison and she's innocent. So has she tried to do like a retrial, appeals? She did appeal and it was not granted. They appealed immediately like pretty much right after the judge sentenced her they filed for an appeal and a lot of people are a lot of people are just really angry about this case it's i it's hard because mm -hmm. the theory that they have seems pretty solid right yeah like he <clears throat> he didn't smoke why was there a cigar um he he didn't drink that much why how would he have been passed out like that <clears throat> i'm like, telling you like I still believe that's possible based on the medicine because I have taken both of those medications before. Actually, actually, I've taken the cyclobenzaprine for sleep and I have taken, well, I still take anti-anxieties and I'm going to miss them, but I take an antidepressant for that. And I, I can't, I cannot drink on those. It, I just lose it so fast. So I believe he could very easily have been incapacitated off of one or two beers. People argue that he was a big dude, and he was. I believe he was over six feet tall. He played uh, football in high school, they said. He was a linebacker. So he's a big guy. But still, if you're a big guy and you don't drink regularly, you're not going to have a high tolerance. That's true. I mean, I'm just, I Googled um, <clears throat> cyclobenzaprine mm -hmm. um, and alcohol. And it, it doesn't necessarily say none, no alcohol. It said you should avoid or limit use of alcohol. Mm -hmm. But then I don't know what antidepressant he was on. So that could have also played into it. Yeah. That, this is a hard one because I feel like there is no physical evidence. They can't mm -hmm. prove that any of that happened while it's suspicious circumstances. And I think her, though, her talking to police multiple times, she did kind of put her foot in her mouth because the police asked her okay you were you're just driving around like trying to find your friend's house for two hours did you call them and she was like well i didn't want to because she had her cell phone she was like i didn't want to call them because i didn't want to wake them up and police are like but you're gonna wake them up when you get to their house and ring the doorbell right i was about to say but you're gonna wake them up when you get there right and there was another thing um it was after she was arrested she mentioned she mentioned something to a friend saying, I believe it was on a, a recorded phone call. And she said something to this friend about, well, I'm not going to get that anyway. 
And they, the police are like, well, she's obviously talking about the life insurance. And after she was, when she was being interviewed and she was not arrested yet, the night that they charged her, she was talking to police. He made mention of telling her, just tell me what happened that night. You just got to tell me. And Kimberly replied something along the lines of, if I tell you what happened, can I see my daughter? And he said, just tell me what happened. You got to just tell me what happened. And she said, just let me see my daughter. You know, and I'll tell you, they went back and forth a little bit. And finally, he was like, I can arrange for your daughter to come here and you can see her. And she said something along the lines of, if you tell, if I tell you what happened, I will never see my daughter again. But this is also... I don't want to be that person, but this is coming from a police officer. This is, I read this from his mouth. It wasn't from like a transcript or anything like right. that. I mean, but also maybe she, it was an accident and she freaked out. Maybe there was something um, mm-hmm. because they're not supposed to take um, the cyclobenzaprine with the antidepressants, right? Plus yes. He was drinking. So maybe she accidentally or he accidentally took both and she, mm-hmm. she administered the drugs and she didn't, maybe she felt guilty about that. But wow, I'm I'm really surprised she was convicted. On yeah, on both counts. On I was information completely circumstantial. Wow. And whether or not she did it or not, I just I don't think this case should have gone the way it did in court. It just feels yeah. really difficult for me. It's just the circumstantial. Like, did she have decent lawyers? I guess. Uh, I couldn't find not. anything on it. Yeah, I don't. I don't think so. I just, Either that, I, or they just kind of got railroaded because the media picked up on this case, and they had a field day with it. Mainly, they touted it as woman goes to murder mystery play and then kills her husband. And it, you know how the media is. I mean, yeah. I'm not gonna lie, that was a juicy story. That's why I got into this. Mm-hmm. But I feel like she kind of got railroaded. But they took that and they ran with it. And one woman said, um, I believe it was actually the person that sold the Fritos their house. She was there and she said she was very surprised that her lawyers didn't try to get the case moved because it was so prominent. She said she was on the front page like 15 times at least. Yeah. Well, the other question I had with that is... um... So you said she appealed almost immediately after, but mm-hmm. has she tried any appeals again since? Not that I could see. Mm-mm. She did re- uh, She did write an article that I was reading on the Huff- Huffington, nope, it was the Washington Post, I'm sorry. And it was an article about the specific prison that she's in. I'm sorry, of course I can't find it now. Do you know what happened to her daughter? Her daughter actually grew up and uh, they still have a relationship. She still comes to see her. I don't know her thoughts on everything that happened. I assume she possibly believes her mother because they do have that relationship. But the article that she wrote was titled, I'm the in- inmate. Why is my granddaughter being punished too? And it was basically about the Maryland women's prison. They apparently changed their rules in 2016 and she was no longer able to hold her baby granddaughter which got mixed reviews because you have the people saying well you killed your husband he'll never be able to hold her 
but also like if you research this case there yeah i I get it but it's i i did this case honestly thinking like oh god this woman's dumb like she totally killed her husband but then i got to research it and i was like i really don't know if she killed her husband or if she just got a really bad rap here yeah i don't that that's a tough one Mm -hmm. wow i'm i'm kind of thrown off by that one because i definitely didn't expect just circumstantial like that's that's what's throwing me off is that all it was was circumstantial Mm-hmm. you know like i just that's that's messing with my head and i don't quite mm-hmm. get what's happening but i did read that she also got first degree murder in maryland is an automatic life sentence so she could have gotten screwed up screwed I, over it, with that like but it must not have had great lawyers yeah it has to be it seems like her lawyers were maybe not mm-hmm. the finest do you know but we don't it, know what she could afford either I mean, they have to provide one, but also, if you feel like your lawyer is incompetent, you can fire them. Yeah, I guess you're right, yeah. Yeah. Do we know if um, the daughter received the life insurance? Uh, No, I couldn't find that. I actually did look that up, um, and I couldn't find it. I have to assume that she did. I just think, like, in that situation, like, yeah, it sucks, but she should also be able to get the benefits from the life insurance. Mm Mm-hmm. especially because the daughter was like eight or nine right maybe she didn't get it right away but hopefully she was able to utilize that if she did get it for Mm -hmm. schooling and whatever else she needed down the road yeah all right well are you ready for a story yeah lift my spirits um i don't know that this is gonna lift your spirits but we'll try son of a biscuit okay it's not it's not terrible it's not like super depressing or anything so have you ever heard of mont helena no where is that Mississippi. Mont Helena. I've heard of Helena, but not this, no. Yeah. Okay. Well, Mont Helena, haunted location in Mississippi. Okay. Uh, I'm going to talk a lot about the, <clears throat> the history. Their hauntings are kind of fun. And some of our favorite people went and investigated, but I'll tell you that later. Okay. So, Helen Grimagower, Johnstone Harrison... Was Absolutely. If she was born on May 21st, 1839. Her parents were John T. Johnstone and Margaret Thompson Johnstone. And at the time, they were living in North Carolina. And her dad, John, would end up relocating the family from North Carolina to Livingston, Mississippi. Um, and this is now present-day Madison from what I could find. Her family was wealthy. Her dad owned a plantation in the area. He would purchase additional land for a second plantation. I mean, this is in the 1800s, so, like, they're doing pretty well. And this second plantation, or the second uh, plot of land that they purchased, was in the Rolling Fort area in Mississippi. And her dad would go on to name this plantation the Helen Place. Aw. Kind of cute. I like it. Um, Helen's father, he would die suddenly at a fairly young age. He was 47. Uh-huh. I could not find a cause. Um, so I'm not quite quite sure what it was tuberculosis it, it was sudden so i don't know oh then not tuberculosis listen carriage accidents come up later in my story so maybe it was a really tragic carriage accident oh my god they had a head-on collision in their horse and buggies oh no not this one but okay at least not that i could find okay 
So with this, Helen, she goes on to live a comfortable life and she does inherit the land at the Helen place. So she inherits that land on that plantation. So like I said, she lived a a comfortable life at the home in Annandale. And from what I could find, this is the first plantation in the Livingston area or the Madison area that they had. And just to get an idea of this life, this house took three years to complete construction. It had 40 finished rooms. Not bedrooms, what? finished rooms. I don't even know 40 people I can invite to my house. She was privately tutored. She was very extensively traveled. She was just like this whole ass proper lady. Oh, she did not work for the prostitution. <laughs> no, she did not work for the prostitution. Um, in 1855, she actually visited the Helen Place Plantation. And like, just to give you an idea of her character... She was upset when she visited that there wasn't a church or a place of worship for the workers on the plantation. And for she the, made a for the workers? For the workers. Oh, she had a good heart. Yeah. And so she was like, I promise I'm gonna get a church built here. Which she oh. did end up doing in 1878. There was a small church built on the plantation. Unfortunately, this structure did later collapse in 2015. So <clears throat> she got it there. She got it there. Um Helen would go on to fall in love, and she became engaged to Henry Vick of Nittayuma, Mississippi. Henry and Helen. Henry and Helen. And one source said that they met through a carriage accident. (laughs) Oh, my God. It was a head-on collision into love. It was a head-on collision right into love. I love it. It was a love bug collision over there. So, Helen and Henry... They were engaged to be wed in 1859 on Helen's 20th birthday. Unfortunately, just a week before their wedding, Henry Vick dies in a duel with his best friend. Pardon? Henry had promised to never kill an opponent, so he shot into the air. And his best friend did not. That's not your friend. What the? What? I thought I added this. There was a reason for why it was, and I just couldn't figure. Uh, I just don't see it in my notes why they got into the um, the duel, but they were apparently pissed at each other. So a week before their wedding. Oh no! I would go to his house and shoot the hell out of him. Well, heaven or heaven, Helen was understandably devastated. Like she yeah. loved this man. She's now burying her fiance. And he was buried at midnight on the day of their wedding, on Helen's birthday. Now, Oh, my God, my heart. The reason that Helen, their wedding was to be on her birthday is because her family had persuaded her to not get married until she was 20. And so that's when she was turning 20. Oh. Uh-huh. Oh, so God. He was married, or buried at midnight on their wedding day, and Helen wore her wedding dress and a black veil to the wedding. Bryce. Some sources said she would be anointed the Bride of Annandale after this point. What are you doing? I'm sorry. Oh. We're going to move on. Uh, so some sources call, started calling her the Bride of Annandale after this. Because, I mean, how sad. I don't well, like that. Time goes on and the Civil War begins in 1861. And Helen, she would actually go on to help the Confederacy by providing troops with the necessities. So she was so influential on the troops that Helen Johnston- that the Helen Johnstone Guard was formed. So she had 
soldiers fitted in their uniforms and the soldiers would uh, the soldiers that were part of this um Helen Johnstone guard they wore brass lettering that was just HJG in honor of Helen on their uniform so like she was very influential for the Confederate army i'm sorry where at on their uniform oh i don't know like everywhere just wherever they could put a buckle it was probably on their chest okay in 1862 Helen would go on to meet Reverend George Carroll Harris. George was an uh, Episcopal? Episcopal. That doesn't sound right. Episcopalian? Episcopal clergyman. But yes, that's the correct religion. Oh, okay. Um, So he was a clergy at the Chapel of Cross in Madison, which, by the way, this Chapel of Cross was, this church was built by Helen's parents in 1851. Right, stop! she goes on to meet George, right? They He's, better get married. He had been a chaplain in the Confederate Army. He was praised due to his dedication to remain and provide aid during the yellow fever epidemic in Memphis, Tennessee area. He served as a rector in different cities. He had a degree of Doctor of Sacred Theology. So he was like it. The man. He was like the reverend, yeah. And you can bet your bottom dollar that Helen and George fall in love. Okay, so don't worry about that. They do fall in love. They get married in August of 1862. They would go on to have three children, two sons, and one daughter. Their oldest, which was a boy, actually passed during infancy just days after birth. But the other two did survive. Good. So she's definitely... there's the a world lot of hate trauma, her? Right? She sounds like such a just good person and the world is just like, I don't like your shoes today. Right. So Right, right, right. <clears throat> now, I mean, they were your very prominent, influential Southern family in the eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds. They had a great reputation. They were really well off. I mean, hell, her husband is a doctor of of churches. <clears throat> what do you call somebody that's like a doctor has a doctorate in Jesus? Do you call him like Doctor Father? Father Doctor? I I think they went by father officially. I think he did. He or missed Reverend. a chance. Dr. Reverend? Dr. Reverend. Doc <laughs> Rev? Doc Rev? But, I mean, they, they were like a really well-respected family. In 1896, Helen and George decide to build their retirement home in the Helen Place Plantation in Rolling Fork. And they find the highest mound and they begin to build this grand home. They also renamed the area from the Helen place to Mont Helena. This is the land that Helen had inherited. It was named after her. If she hadn't inherited this, I would have been pissed, right? Oh, absolutely. If some weirdo named Bob would have bought it or something, I'd have been like, no, this is not Mont Bob. This is Mount Helena and you give it back. (laughs) Right. There would be riots if Helena or Helen didn't get it. Well, with pitchforks and torches and stuff. Right. Um, so in the drive, I do have a picture of where the home sits from afar. It's that really pretty sunsetty one. And well, the mound, like I said, they found the highest mound. Um, wait, they built this beautiful home. Oh no. Um, did they, that's a ceremonial native American. Mound. Oh God. I, oh yeah, God. No biggie. No big deal. So oh, they no. did 
filled this on what would traditionally be considered a ceremonial mount. The house was completed. And while the Harrises were working on moving in, like their furniture is on a train en route to Mount Helena, their home catches fire and burns down. Leave the ashes and move away. They did not do that. This brand (gasps) new house just burnt to a crisp. Didn't deter them. They just rebuilt it. Damn your hard, stubborn hearts. Right? (laughs) Now, this home was very grand when it was completed. The second, both times, the first time and the second time, it was a very grand home. Um, where was I? It was de- designed by architect George Barber, who was famous for his Queen Anne Victorian style house plans. So he was like good at what he did, right? And like this us was- Southerners, we love some Queen Anne. Yeah, and this Sorry. was like the it house. This is this was the his. House. His Mona Lisa. Right. Well, I don't know about that. But this was, like, in the area, this was the Mona Lisa. And, like, just so that you can kind of get an idea, there were steads that, steads, there were stairs that led from the base of the mound all the way to the front porch, which was huge. There were just fancy columns everywhere. They had bay windows. The first floor led into a hallway that ran the entire length of the house. Um, There was a former parlor, a dining room, a library, a grand staircase. And at the top of this, or not the top of this, the middle of this, there was a landing. So you could like take a break and pretend that you're not winded. Yeah, I was going to say, you need that. There's 40 (laughs) rooms and how many freaking, you got to go up 60 stairs. This one didn't have 40 rooms. That was her home that she grew up in. Okay. So this one just had the space for 40 rooms, but Definitely, when you put yeah. in a porch that big, it, you gotta, you gotta you lose gotta, something. Yeah. You gotta lose some of those. This was also their retirement home. So, you know, they're like, we're going to need that break halfway up. You know, they didn't think this out. I don't feel. I don't. They did obviously because they're like, put a break spot halfway up like a landing and then it would turn and go up the rest of the way. It was just a very grand home. The second floor had paladin windows with gothic arches, and that was a very prominent feature. There was a private chapel for the Lord's Doctor. Bougie. Okay. (laughs) That's George, by the way. George is the Lord's Doctor. Here, he performed christenings and weddings. He did all the churchy things in here, right? Okay. This house had seven bedrooms. Each bedroom had a fire burning, a wood burning fireplace with this beautiful wooden mantle. Like it was just very grand. The third floor was an attic and it had, you know, the dormers, it had arched windows, it had the works even for an attic. They also had a basement, but there was nothing too crazy special about the basement. Um, Okay. That's where they were like, no, that's fine. We're just going to put all our wine down there. Yeah. It's just for the wine. Yeah. All our wine and ghosts. Yeah. They also had a widow's walk on the completed house. And then Helen and George, they lived in this home once it was completed until they both passed away. So George passed in 1911 and Helen passed in 1917. They were married for a total of 49 years. Okay, that I'm happy about. But why the hell does she have to see so many people die in her life? It's so sad. But she was happy like with her husband 49 years. God, okay. Right. And they didn't have, from what I could find, they didn't have like issues with the home, like a haunting type thing. They were just like, all right, our house burned down one time. We'll just make it so it doesn't burn down a second time. <laughs> no biggie. Um, 
Both Helen and George died in the home, and they were both buried in the Mounds Cemetery in Rolling Fork. So they're buried nearby. <clears throat> and as what happens with older homes, Mont Helena was forgotten. The home fell into disrepair. How do you forget this thing? It's a monstrosity. <laughs> well, when it's on a plantation with that much land, and people aren't living there, but... Mont Helena would fall victim to vandals. They stole windows, doors. They stole the mantles, though it is possible the mantles over the fireplaces were just rehomed to, like, family that owned the home. Um, the wood structures were rotting. The, the widow's walk collapsed, leaving much of the interior exposed. I really hope that didn't happen while somebody was up there. No, I don't think so. I mean, I might have because my next bullet is a lot of local kids saw exploring this rundown home in Mount Helena as kind of a rite of passage. Like it was the thing to do for the kids in the area. I would I would do that. Yeah. And by the 1990s, Mount Helena, sh she's a classic fixer upper at this point. You know, she's got some work. In 1993, Drick Rogers and a distant relative of Helen's would begin rest uh, restoration on the home. They actually really wanted to restore this home to its former glory. They're like, this was once the it house. Like, this was gorgeous. <clears throat> they wanted to preserve any bit of the original design and the home as they could. And Drick was able to recover a deteriorated column. So he sent this column to New Orleans to have a mold of the column made so that he could create replicas for the rebuild. That man's dedicated. Like, I respect that. Yes, he's dedicated. The wood flooring in the home, anything on the first floor was salvaged between all three floors. And that's the original flooring on the first floor. They just moved it down. Wait, what? So, the flooring in the home. They took all three floors, whatever they could salvage for the wood flooring, and they put that on the first floor. So between all three of those floors, it is technically the original flooring, but it's between all three stories. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the second and third floor obviously don't get the original, but he tried to keep it close. Um, replicas of the mantles were made, and this is why a lot of people say, well, it was probably someone from the family that took the mantle if they were able to make replicas, you know? Yeah, I don't think they had cameras back then. If they right. did, I don't think they were taking pictures of mantles. Right. They're not taking pictures of the most random shit. Mm -hmm. uh, the widow's walk, that was fully restored. Like, they're just doing everything they can to this house. And all of this work started in 1993. And this can't be an easy task to do, nor can it be cheap. <clears throat> in 2009, the Friends of Mont Helena was established. This is, like, just a foundation. And they created a play called Mont Helena, A Dream Revisited. And <clears throat> with this, there was a renewed attention on the home. And Drick, again, he restarts his restoration efforts because he's like, oh. There's now this play that we've created, and we want to make sure that this home can host this play. So he begins his restorations, and the home's going to be staged for this play. So he gets, everything gets painted, interior, exterior. They all get a fresh coat of paint. He does a little remodeling, and they do decide to put in a large functional kitchen to be installed. And this kitchen combines three rooms into one. So they combine the original kitchen, a breakfast room, and a butler's pantry to become one huge kitchen. They would restructure or redesign the second floor a little bit. They added central heating and air. They completely restored one of the bedrooms on the second floor. 
They do have additional plans to continue restoration efforts on the remaining rooms, but they're not completed from what I could find. Landscaping at the base of the mound and all around the home was completed. Nowadays, they do weddings there, and oh my god, it's gorgeous. The pictures I found for weddings there, whoo, they're beautiful. Um, <clears throat> like, if I lived in the area and was getting married, Mont Helena wins, you know. They also do guided tours dramatic to and dramatic tours there. You can add on, like, a morning pastry or an afternoon dessert served on fine china. Yes. Yes. <clears throat> now, are you ready for some of the hauntings? Yesterday. Okay. I don't have a lot, but I was so into the research of the house. I said, I don't really care how many hauntings there are. This is great. Um, <clears throat> now, I know we mentioned that this was built on a ceremonial mount. Um, there are sources that I read that said it might not be as disrespectful as most people think. Oh, and part okay. of this is because this mound could have been desecrated or destroyed, but instead it's kind of being preserved with the house being on it. So that makes sense. Yeah. So they kind of talked about like floods, winds, storm, like that type of stuff could have potentially destroyed the home, uh, the mound. But because that home sits there, it is preserved. So maybe the fire was just a test. It was like, how bad do you want this? Yeah. And they came back it? and they built it harder and more fancy and right so it, it might not be as as taboo as we think i'm not saying it's like the most respectful thing you can do but some of the sources said it is helping preserve the actual mound itself so how disrespectful can that really be heard worse right now a lot of sources said the more active the house is the more active the activity is so the more people, the more ghosties, right? Um, there are so many reports of a woman in a white gown that people believe is Helen. Oh. There are orbs in photographs that appear quite frequently. They hear footsteps on stairs throughout the home. They hear voices in the wall. That's also very common. And I wondered on this one if that was more of a residual haunting because they did some rearranging of rooms. So if they're hearing voices in the walls, maybe that was, <clears throat> that didn't used to be a wall there and that used to be an open space and it's residual. Oh, that's a good, that's a good point. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, one witness claimed to see the walls covered in blood, but when they returned, there was no sign of blood. Okay. That just went downhill very quickly. <laughs> that was only one witness. Um, both male and female apparitions are common. People claim to see Mrs. Harris walk the widow's walk frequently. Um, <clears throat> well, I mean, I guess frequently for paranormal activity. In the basement, you can hear the sounds of rattling chains. Get out. There is one entity that tends to push, touch, or scratch people. It also runs its fingers through your hair. Oh, no. One witness states that they can hear piano being played at random times. Um just a little bit more of the haunting for that church that used to be there that did collapse in 2015. A lot of people say the church was haunted. Um, and they think that was from it being near the ceremonial mound. And it was said that if you rang the bell in the chapel three times, it would ring back once. Legend also has it that on New Year's, the church bell can be heard in the distance. And from what I understood of this article... There are places that did research and like testing to see, all right, is this like a nearby church that we're actually hearing and attributing to this one? And they, they did test with it and they're like, we can't hear these churches or these nearby bells from this distance. 
So that only leaves one explanation, and it's the ghost right. church. It's uh, <laughs> Dr. Padre's ghost church. Yes. Yep, yep, yep. <clears throat> the Mississippi Paranormal Society explored, and they claim to have captured EVPs, different pictures, saw numerous shadow figures. They do not have those published online. I'm a little bitter about that because I tried to find them online. But what do I know? And then you want to take a guess who also investigated Mount Helena? Ghost Adventures. No. Oh. Ghost Hunters, the OG. Oh. <clears throat> it's in a newer season. It's like season 15, I think. Um, but they did, they did explore and they caught some interesting things. They caught responsive knock. Um, a lot of, they caught a lot of EVPs. Um, they believe they made contact with Helen. Um, basically, so I can't remember his daughter's name. One of the guy's daughters was there and she has a technique where she just has them knock, like knock. And that's how we're going to communicate like one for yes, two for no, or whatever it may be. Um, or she did one where she was like, all right, I'm going to basically go through the alphabet and work on spelling out your name. You knock when I say the letter of your name. So she'd be like, A, B, C, D, E. She got to H and it knocked. She got to E and it knocked and it got to L. And I think she was like, is this Helen? And <clears throat> she had one. I'm not going to ruin the rest of this, but I'll ruin this piece. Um, she had one experience where uh, this is still the guy's daughter. She was asking about a death there and it was talking about their child. And she's like, OK, well, how old was your child when they passed away? And it wasn't a death there. It was just talking about the child in general. And it knocks 10 times and she goes, okay, were they 10 years? And it says it doesn't respond. And she goes, 10 months doesn't respond. She goes days and it responds. Helen had a child die in infancy. Oh my God. So definitely a juicy episode. Um, it was a very good one. But aside from that, those are the most common things that they'll see. A lot of apparitions, a lot of, a lot of who they believe to be Helen there. And that is the story of Mont Helena. I'm going to have to go watch that episode. I don't remember. I'm pretty sure it's episode 15. You mean season? Yes. Season 15. Um, but like the pictures, this house is freaking gorgeous. Yeah. They definitely put some work into this house for sure. Yeah. I'm going to have to see if we can possibly drive by there next time I go home. So I'm very, very bitter that you have that opportunity well I, not with my husband most of the time he doesn't like that well he doesn't need a choice <laughs> any other questions comments concerns i'm gonna go with no no not for me oh only for manny okay well thank you all for listening to hell on heels podcast to see pictures from that, this episode you can follow us on instagram at hell on heels podcast twitter hell on heels pod or Facebook by searching Hell on Heels Podcast. You can find us on Linktree by typing in Hell on Heels Podcast Linktree. If you want to support us, please like, review, rate, share, and subscribe on your preferred listening platforms. If you want to take your support one step further so we can create more content for you, you can donate through Patreon. We're working to release specials for our patrons. If you have your own true crime or paranormal story suggestions or just words of encouragement, please email us at hellonheelspodcast at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for listen listening. Be sure to tell or force your friends to listen with you. Bye. Hey. Okay.